This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is Up in the Rafters, where I'm joined by my guy and Carolina basketball legend and 2017 national champion, Justin Jackson, to talk about all things Carolina basketball. Sometimes we deviate away from that, and before we get started today, last week, I ugly danced on the Cowboys grave. It was like the the meme where I show up to my biggest, my biggest hater's funeral. I got to give you the floor. It, you know, Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush won it. I mean, all I have to say is in Rush we trust, man. That's all I have to say, you know? Um you were right, though. They were going to fight, and they were going to find ways. Look, there's there's really nothing in my life that I support or that I do that uh, has any kind of quit in it. And so um, when it comes to the Cowboys, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but they're not going to quit, you know, even if their star quarterback goes down or something else happens. There's no quit. So – you can always count on that, and obviously Cooper Rush, he's going to take us to the promised land until Dak gets back. Yeah, and the the biggest proof of karma in the world is I, I do the, a little one-two tap on the Cowboys. I fly out to Las Vegas to see the Raiders. They're up 20 nothing, and they lose 29-23 in overtime. And uh, one of the most heartbreaking games I've ever seen in person. <laughs> so, so this was a lesson to me. Uh, don't celebrate a week one performance. It's it's too early in the season. Once I'm not celebrating anything Cowboys until the the graphic comes out where it says like eliminated and it's and it's confirmed. But with today's podcast, Justin, we'll go entirely with a mailbag of questions taken both on social media and the premium message board from Carolina fans. The first question I have from you uh, for you is from your experience as both an NCAA and NBA champion, what qualities would you say a championship team normally has on and off the court? Oh, there's, there's quite a few. Um, I think they're both different to be honest. I think college wise, um, it's a super close knit team. Um, 
I know from my experience, I can't necessarily speak for, you know, the 2005 team or the 2009 team. Um, but I know from my experience, we did a lot of things together off the court. Um, you know, we loved being around each other, um, whether it was just going to get food, whether it was uh, going to see a movie, whatever it was, we did a lot of things together um, because that just kind of creates even more chemistry once you get on the court. Um, and then off, obviously you have to have a team full of workers, guys that, you know, don't mind putting work in, uh, guys that are willing to sacrifice for each other. Um, I think that's a big thing because especially in college, everybody's goal is to make it professionally. So being able to put kind of your individual um, success, you know, to a certain extent to the side for the good of the team is huge. Um, and then once you get to the, you know, pro level, it's a little different because, you know, in the NBA, you have probably, you know, two or three guys that are like your top guys. You know, for me with the Bucks, it was like Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. Those three guys were like our three guys that we rode, you know, kind of the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so you know that, and then everybody else just plays a role, right? Like P.J. Tucker, everybody knows he's like the defender, um, team guy, Um and then you have all the other guys underneath that. And for me, like even me, I didn't play pretty much the whole playoffs, but being there to encourage guys, being there to uh, be a good teammate, um, you know, communicate whenever maybe I will see something or whatever, um, you know, everybody has to play a role. And so I think a lot of it is being selfless and just kind of, you know, focusing on what the team needs at a certain extent. So that's probably the biggest factor. You kind of went into the next question from a listener, um, but the context of this question relates to players who have NBA and professional ambitions. How do you balance playing for the broader team versus accomplishing your individual aspirations? I think there's there's a there's a there's a happy balance. Um, I think there has to be a certain amount of work that you put in individually um for yourself that ends up helping the team collectively right like so you know you're not necessarily just saying okay whatever whatever the team needs from me that's what I'm working on right like you're working on yourself you're working on your conditioning you're working on your jump shot you're working on whatever it is possible um for yourself you know, the things that you need to work on to possibly make it to the next level. And that just helps the team. Um, and then once the season comes, you kind of see how guys fall into their roles, you know, once the season kind of gets going, you know. So, like, we'll see once the season goes, like, where Caleb Love, RJ, Armando, um, you know, Leaky, kind of where their roles start to shift. Um, whether it's, you know, RJ's on the ball, Caleb's off the ball, um, Mondo's getting the ball on the block all the time, or he's playing a pick and roll all the time, whatever it might be, like you kind of start to see the roles start to shift into what the team needs. But it all goes back to what individuals have been working on all summer and what they need to do to get to the professional level. How much did that team basketball aspect play into your decision to go to Carolina in comparison to – 
going to a school like Duke, who it's it was a lot more NBA friendly offense where I say NBA friendly because it's just essentially guys playing ISO ball and <laughs> and kind of showcasing their talents. Yeah, I mean, I went into college not really thinking that I was a one and done, you know, even though I was, you know, I went in with Theo and Joel and we were both we were all three what top 20 recruits. Um I don't know if we ever really thought that we were going to just go there for a year and be out, um, which kind of helped, I think, all of us uh, just go in there and, and work to, you know, help the team in whatever ways we needed to. Um, and so I, I think the team aspect and for me in recruiting, like kind of the whole family aspect was huge for me. You know, like I was leaving, you know, Texas to go all the way to North Carolina Um to go to school. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like, you know, the coaching staff I was really close with the players I was really close with. So kind of the team, you know, atmosphere and things like that was probably the biggest factor for me. I know there's a lot of guys who nowadays, especially, um, you know, they just look for a school that could possibly, you know, be like a, you know, a stop, you know, so that they can, get to the NBA. Um, but for me, I, I just looked at it as I wanted to go to North Carolina because I kind of liked the family atmosphere. I liked, obviously, the history. Um, and then the team that was there already, I liked that a lot. Yeah, related question. Five-star recruit, top 10 player in the class, going to a school as big as North Carolina. Was that ever a challenge handling the the expectations that come with being that highly regarded at a school that big? Um. I think there were times maybe um, I've talked about it before, but um, I love Carolina fans, but when things don't go well, um, you know, they definitely have things to say about it. And so um, going in kind of with those accolades um, and kind of being regarded in that way, I still needed time once I got to school to adjust to the college level of play, you know, like I needed to get stronger. I went in freaking bones um i needed to get stronger i needed to get a little faster i needed to work on um you know my jump shot once i got there uh, um, but everybody expects because you're highly regarded coming out of high school they expect you just to be able to step right onto a college basketball floor and there are some players that can but they expect you to just step onto the college basketball floor and just okay average 20 carry the whole team to the promised land you know um but just like I said previously, once I got to school, all of those, you know, ratings and all that kind of stuff, it goes out the window. I got there and it was like, okay, I was, I started, but I was probably fourth or fifth guy when it came to like the totem pole, you know? So it was, it was a matter of me finding what my role was once I got there, which was totally different. You know, all of us coming out of high school, like we're the number one guy, right? We get the ball probably 80% of the time in a game we're probably shooting most of the shots. Um, and then once I got to school, I was setting back screens, right. Trying to go get offensive rebounds. Like it was totally different from what it was in high school. And so I think fans have to realize that things totally change from one level to the next. And it takes some people a little bit longer. Some people can hop right in and be that guy. Um, but for me, it took a little bit longer. And so I had to kind of adjust to it. Something else that I, don't think fans can quite understand is 
what is it like getting around campus? Because like a, any college student or any person, there's going to be days where you have bad days or you have bad games and you're, you're six foot eight. Everybody knows who you are. You can't really hide from that. Yeah, it's um, I think I which looking back, I kind of wish that I was a little more uh, outgoing, I guess I would say. Um, I walked around campus with my headphones on all the time. So I, I didn't really like whether it was a good game or a bad game. Like I, I was kind of shut off. Um, but yeah, it is tough. You know, for instance, like when we, when we lost in the national championship, I mean, it was when you walked around campus, it was like you, you didn't even have to look around. You knew everybody was looking at you. And it was like, a, it was either a look of disappointment. They felt bad for you or they were angry. You know, like it was like, <laughs> It was some no com- or some combination of the three. Yeah, some of those. <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, you know, for fans, obviously fans are fans. Like they're going to support you. They're going to have things to say if, if something's not going right or they see something different. Um, but I think we've talked about it before. Like at the end of the day, no matter if we're making money, no matter if we're at school on our scholarship and supposed to be, you know, this great team, like we're all humans. You know what I'm saying? Like we're still – we still have hearts, like we still have emotions, you know what I'm saying? Like we still are people. And so, um, you know, just take it easy whenever things might not go the way that everybody thinks they're (laughs) supposed to go. (laughs) The next question I have from somebody is with practice set to begin in a few days, how do you expect the preseason and Hubert Davis's approach will be different from a year ago? By comparison, how did Roy Williams handle the 2017 preseason compared to 2016? Honestly, coach was a little more, he was a little tougher on us, to be honest, going into the uh, 2017 team. Um, and I think it was because he had these expectations of us already that we had set the year before, and he knew that we could make it back to where we wanted to make it. Um, plus, it helps when you have guys that are already, that have already been there. Um, you know, this team is, when you look at this team, it's like very similar to our team in 2017. It's guys that have, you know, the majority of the guys made it to the championship game last year. Um, you know, you, you sprinkle in a few freshmen that come in that might be able to provide some minutes. Um, so you don't really have to go to the basics. You know, I'm sure the first couple of days will be a little more of teaching and trying to get concepts and, and plays and stuff like that put in. But once you get those put in, then you can just start working on, okay, what is it that we need to do to get back to that championship game and finally win it? Um, but I know for my <laughs> my junior year, um, we always did, like, with the conditioning. It kind of started with conditioning. Um, and we always did the 12-minute uh, run. And the 2017 year, I think it was seven. I want to say it was, I want to say it was like you had to get six, six and a half laps um, on the track in 12 minutes. Um, And that year, I think he changed it to seven. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously for like the guards and the wings, like we can, like we can make that happen. It's not terribly hard, but like for all the bigs, it was like, well, dang. All right. We you know, we, we got to really book it. Um, so that was just like one of the things that coach did, I think just trying to push us to try to get even better, to try to make it back to where we were. So 
I would probably expect Coach Davis to be a little harder um, and to also expect more from the guys that have been there. I yeah. think that's big. So, Yeah, and the, the thing that I've loved to see with Hubert Davis is even though he's replacing a legend in Roy Williams, he, he stayed true to himself. The best mm-hmm. example I can think of that is the Patriots in the NFL. Like one, one of their assistant coaches leaves, they go to their new spot trying to be Bill Belichick. And then, you know, within a season or two, they're out of town because you, you can't just go somewhere exactly. and, and be the next Bill Belichick. What would you say the biggest difference in your eyes is between Coach Davis's approach and Roy Williams' approach? Um, I think it's just, it's just a little, uh, newer age, I guess I would say, you know, coach Williams is, he's obviously, you know, in my opinion, the best coach to ever coach college basketball. Um, but he was very like set in his ways and it worked. It won games, it won championships. Uh, but there wasn't much of moving from what he did in 2005 compared to, you know, 2017. And then you go to Coach Davis, and obviously Coach Davis played at Carolina. Um, he was coached by, you know, some of the great coaches at Carolina. But he still has his own, um, you know, schemes and concepts that help the game today, right? Like you see more pick and roll. You see more, um, you know, movement and, you know, pin downs and, um, you know, just things like that as opposed to just coming down, secondary break, setting back screens, getting the bait to the block, playing with two bigs. Um, you see a lot more picking and popping with Coach Davis now as opposed to just picking and rolling. Um, so I think it's just he's just kind of brought some some concepts that translate more to today's game. Um, and so I think especially with the personnel that they have on the team, you know, now having Nance – um, last year, obviously having Brady and putting him in different actions where he's picking and popping as opposed to just setting back screens for him and having him go to the block every time. Um, you know, I think he's just kind of bringing some new, some new concepts that just help the personnel that's there at the, you know, on the team right now. The last question from the listeners was during your time at Carolina, was there a UNC employee outside of the coaching staff? that really aided you in your maturation as a ball player, student, or individual? An employee? Just, just the non-coaching staff. So, non-coaching staff. so like a, would, not a head a coach man- or assistant. Would a manager be considered an employee? Yeah, you could count it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, um, and I could probably speak for probably Luke and – Kenny as well. Um, like we still have a group chat with two of our former managers, um, which we're close with basically all of them. Um, Forrest Reynolds, Chase Bingle, um, T. Haig. Um, like we're we were close with all of the managers. Um, and obviously you can't leave out can't leave out the girls, Merv and, and Maggie, um, my sophomore year, I guess. Uh, but Chase and Tyler, those two in particular, and Forrest, I put Forrest in there, um, they would be kind of the main guys that would come back with us at night and shoot and rebound for us. Um, so they were huge for us as far as just getting extra work in, getting extra reps. Um, you know, and then we'd go to old Chicago afterwards and they would join us, 
you know? So it was like, it wasn't all basketball necessarily with them. Um, it was just growing friendships and uh, kind of going through the whole college grind together. Um, and I think those guys were huge for us. Obviously you can't leave our academic advisor, Jen out. She was, she helped us get through, get through some tough times at times. Um, but you know, those guys, our managers, we definitely had some of the best managers um, in the country. So those guys were huge for us. Yeah. Shout out to the managers. They're basically, they're basically on call where it's like, if, if one of you guys is like, Hey, it's 1130. I want to get shots up. Do you mind rebounding? You know, they're at the gym by 1132. Exactly. <laughs> they're there. Yeah. But that is all we have this week. We have live action with Hubert Davis on Friday. We will be back sometime next week to give our recap of it. But Justin, appreciate the time. Appreciate everybody listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.